Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Don't play games with God. Okay, I'm going to say that again because some of you may have still been shuffling, getting to your seats. Don't play games with God. You know, we've been in a series on 1 Samuel, and we are to chapter 4 of 1 Samuel this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles, that's where we will be, 1 Samuel 4. And up until this point in time, we've watched the story of Samuel and Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli. And this morning, just to prepare you, is not a light morning or chapter. There is about to be a lot of judgment, there's about to be a lot of death, and there's about to be a lot of loss that comes in 1 Samuel 4 this morning due to the chapters before this. We see in 1 Samuel 1 and 2 through 3 that God speaks of a coming judgment on the house of Eli for their sins. Remember that they were taking from the offering the best pieces of meat for themselves first before they offered that back on the altar. The high priest and his sons were doing this. Don't play games with God. Today in our text for this morning is a day of reckoning for Eli and his family. And again, our main point through Everything we're going to talk about this morning is simply this. Do not play games with God. So as we look at chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, we're going to start in verse 1 and look at verse 1 and 2 first. So you can begin reading with me in 1 Samuel 4 verse 1. And the word of the Lord, uh, word of Samuel came to all Israel Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Okay, so just a little context already for our passage that you may just quickly breeze over if you're reading this passage. One is where they're camped right now. We just sang this word earlier, and some of you may know this word, some of you may not. It's a word, Ebenezer. Some of you sing that Come Thou Fount song, and you say the Ebenezer word, but you're singing words, you're like, I have no clue what that word means, okay? Ebenezer means stone of help, stone of help. So literally, in the place that they were camped for this battle was called stone of help. It was a place that should have called them to be reminded of what's supposed to help them. It's God. But what we're going to see this morning is they didn't see that. They didn't see that they needed God's help. What they end up doing is they take God's things for his help. So we see the first battle has been lost. And honestly, they return from battle a little bit perplexed, like, huh, we lost. I wonder why that is. Why, why, 
would we lose? Apparently, this was not a common thing. They apparently won often. So they're a little bit confused. This defeat leads us into the thrust of this chapter, though. So we see them, or we will see them, use the ark as a magic charm here in just a second. The fulfillment of the judgment pronounced on the house of Eli will also come here. So before we get into 3 through 11, where we're going to see that, we're going to do a little pause point here, and we're going to talk about something that's going to be very um, helpful for you to know as we move into the rest of the chapter. And it's this thing called the ark. Okay? Some of you in here are going to be like, uh, this is awesome, this is nerdy, I know all this already. And hopefully some of you are going to feel like, I'm glad that he talked about that before we move into the rest of the chapter. Okay? So let's do a little archaeology. Um, the ark was the place where the real presence of God came down to dwell with his people. The ark was gold-plated. It had two cherubim on top of it with wings extended. The top of it was called the mercy seat. And inside sat two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it that Moses had brought down. It also had pieces of manna from the desert. So some of you that are at Family Bible Camp this week, they actually collected some of that manna and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder that God would provide for them. And then the last thing in the, in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's staff that budded as a miraculous sign in the wilderness as well. And on top of that mercy seat, one day a year they celebrated something called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood onto the top of the mercy seat for the sins of the people. It was where God could come down and dwell with his people. It is significant to the people of Israel. But not only that, the ark was also used in victory over battles. Because you realize as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, at some point in time, they finally got to the promised land. But in order to get there, they had to defeat multiple people. And when they defeated these people, they would take the Ark of the Covenant and they would move in on the people. And the Ark was the sign that God's presence was with them. So now, having some context of the importance of the Ark... Let's look at how the council of elders and their decision to bring the ark into battle comes about. Okay, Verses 3 through 4. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, and it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Okay, so the elders are gathering together. Remember, they're confused that they just got defeated. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Ah, why don't we bring the Ark into the camp? Surely, if we bring the ark into the camp, God has to respond, right? Because if the ark of the covenant is in the camp, God's reputation is now on the line. God has to respond. So why don't we twist his arm a little bit, bring the ark in the camp, and we'll get victory. 
And then the other thing is when they go finally go get the ark, there are two people protecting it, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. The people who are supposed to be pointing God's people to seek him, to repent of sins, to take God seriously. And what do they do? Sure, that sounds like a great idea. Let's take the ark. We're gonna go right in with it, sounds good. No stop, no pause, just a yes. Where is the wisdom of the elders and priests to pray and seek the Lord for their, this answer? Nowhere in the text do we see them stop and seek the Lord. Nowhere. All they did was say, here's a problem, here's a solution. I got a problem, and now I have a solution. Makes sense, right? No thought to assess their hearts, their motivation, nothing. Just problem and solution. Now, does this sound familiar to you? I have a problem, and I need it to be solved. So instead of pausing and seeking the Lord for an answer and for help, I'm just going to go to a solution, possibly even using the things that God has given me as the solution for the answer. I want the problem to be solved. I don't care about what God thinks. I don't care about what he thinks I should do. I'm just gonna use best practices to solve the issue. Sound familiar to you? Or we're like the elders and priests in this story. We speed our way, quick answers, using God. In some ways you can't fault the elders and the priests in this story though, right? We just talked about how the ark helped them overcome people. We also make this excuse a lot too. Well, how could you fault me? This worked in the past. Surely I can do it again. I'll give an example of that in Numbers 10.35. It says, whenever the ark set out, Moses said, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. Okay, so we can see why they came to this solution, Right? Okay, let's see how it all shakes out. Five through nine. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves of the Hebrews, and they have been to you. Be men and fight. A couple interesting things I think are helpful to note here. Notice that... <clears throat> Um, they were backing God into a corner, right? Again, the reputation thing is on the line. And you already see that from the passage here. God had a reputation at this point in time. The Philistines knew about it. They knew that this God had some kind of power, that in some way he had come to the help of his people by plague. Now, you notice, too, they also get some of the details wrong, right? Right? 
They didn't send plagues in the wilderness against the Egyptians, right? And he says God's plural, right? But there was some level of reputation here that God had. And notice the differences that the ark is spoken about by the Philistines and the Israelites. The Philistines, the ones who mention the Exodus twice, who are afraid, who cry out, woe to us, they knew the reputation of the Israelite God. They almost in some way took God more seriously than the actual Israelites. The Israelites were just shouting really loud. And you may not know this from the Old Testament, but often when a people wanted their God to respond, they shouted really loud. So don't take the shouting to mean like, oh, they definitely saw the importance of the ark. No, they were backing God into a corner, twisting his arm. The ark was their spiritual ace in the hole. It was their way of twisting God's arm. Don't play games with God. Dale Davis says this, when we, whether Israelites or Christians, operate this way, our concern is not to seek God, but to control him. Not to submit to God, but to use him. So we prefer religious magic to spiritual holiness. We are interested in success, not repentance. You know, when you go out to eat with friends or family and you're around the table and you're enjoying conversation with each other and talking about the food and what happened the last week and you're enjoying your time together out to dinner. There's another person that also takes part in a story when you're out to dinner and that person's called the waiter. You're enjoying life with each other and relationship, talking, and then when you need something, waiter, drink, refill. Okay, thanks. Oh, waiter, check. Yeah, we need the check. Oh, and actually, while you're back there, can you bring us a box? That waiter has no spot in the conversation at the table. That waiter's job is to call or come to your beck and call and to serve you. This is typically how we treat God. We do our life, we have our things, and then when we need God, we'll call him over to the table and we'll ask him. We do not take God seriously. We flip the divine alignment and we put ourselves on the throne and God becomes our servant instead of God on the throne and we are his servants. Way too often our relationship is transactional at best. I will read my Bible, I will pray, I will go to church, I may even share Jesus with my neighbor. As long as when I need you, you're gonna respond. If, you, if I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. This is how we deal with God. We don't take him seriously. You know, since when has the God of the universe, creator of all things, become so domesticated and under our control? How do we get here? How do the Israelites get here? We haven't taken God seriously. We have not considered the weightiness of his glory. We have made God in our image instead of God making us in his this is all backwards, though. 
we know we are created and saved for God. We are made in his image. We are his servants. Where in your life right now is God currently supposed to be serving you and instead you should be serving him? Don't play games with God. What are the dangers in playing games with God? Well, from this passage, we know that judgment is a real reality. Eli and his sons were not taking God's word seriously, and as a result, they received judgment. Let's go to verses 10 and 11. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his house. And there was a great slaughter, and for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel died, fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. God's judgment for sin was all over this situation. It was a judgment for the priesthood who did not take God seriously and others, 30,000 others, who had to suffer death as a repercussion of that. Your sin is never personal to just you. God is not to be played with. Sin is not to be played with. The judgment of God is not a game. These are serious realities. The consequences and coming of each of these things is serious. How serious? Dale Davis says, God will suffer shame rather than allow you to carry on a false relationship with him. Or he will allow you to be disappointed with him if it will awaken you to the sort of God he really is. You see, when we shift from seeing God as worthy and king of kings to a servant, a waiter, a bellhop, all of a sudden we go from saying thou art worthy to thou art useful. Is that all God is to you, useful? Or is he worthy? This was the heart of Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, and the elders. They were not taking God seriously. They were playing games with God and his things. They are about to receive judgment for those decisions. We already know that Hophni and Phinehas, along with 30,000, have died in battle. Now we have one more. We move to Eli, the high priest. Look at verse 12. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head, meaning there was mourning. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli, Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead And the ark of God has been captured. 
As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Notice the report to Eli comes in four parts, each worse than the last. The first one, that they had been defeated. The second one, the loss, 30,000 people. The third one, that both his sons are now dead. His lineage is gone. And then the last one, the ark has been captured. Notice too in verse 18 that he fell out of his chair because he was old and heavy. He responds so emphatically because the ark is captured that it overtakes him and he literally falls out of his seat and breaks his neck. And while this may be a funny detail to be laughed at, it's rather a very specific indictment on his own sin. What happens here is what Eli had been allowing his sons to do. He was feeding himself on the meat that was not his. Eli had the judgment that God had promised to him, and God was faithful to that. How serious is God about sin and misrepresenting and misguiding his people? Very. But I also want you to see that amid this judgment of the chapter, God was fulfilling his promise of judgment upon Eli and his house. And as he was fulfilling that, Eli symbolically was dethroned, literally falling out of his chair, the dethroning of Eli, because God was done with the high priest not taking him seriously and therefore causing his people to not take him seriously. The line of Eli ends here. This dethroning was out of God's judgment, but also his grace. We're gonna see more of this in a second. So back in our story, we find ourselves with the house of Eli dead, two battles lost, the ark taken to pagan lands. And you know the statement, it can't get worse than this, right? It's about to get even worse. 19 through 22. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news of the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Where is the glory? Where is the glory? This is what Ichabod would hear every time his name was called. This is the child that has now lost his grandfather, his father, and now his mother. And his name is Where's the Glory? Well, it's departed. This is a significant moment, though, in Israelite history. 
This is one of two moments in all of their history where the glory of God actually departs his people. The other moment is in Ezekiel. The judgment so harsh on Israel that God literally removes his glory from his people. But more specifically, it's a judgment on the house of Eli. But this judgment will be endured by all people for the sins of a few. It was Eli and his sons who stole and trampled on the glory of God. They chose to play games with God. Are you currently choosing to play games with God? And you may think, well, it's fine because the consequences may be for me. This passage does not just tell us that. Your games with God may be consequences for others as well. As we think about how does this apply for us today, should I be afraid that God's gonna smite my family because I've been stealing glory or because I haven't been taking him seriously? I think the implications are twofold for us this morning. If you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't placed faith in Christ, I wanna give you a very specific warning this morning to not play the game of I'll do it later or I'm a pretty good person with God. You may be sitting here this morning and you genuinely do not believe that there's a judgment day coming for all sin. Eli's sons believed they could fool God and to some extent Eli himself. And as a result, they continued to live lives in rebellion to God and judgment came. If you're sitting in here and you're currently playing the game with God that I'll figure it out later, I'm gonna enjoy my life for right now. Do not play the game of chicken with God. You don't know when the judgment day is coming. And even more than that, why would you not want to know your creator? To enter into personal relationship with the creator and his people. Come to Jesus, humble yourself this morning. Come for forgiveness of sins and repentance. Come so that the judgment due to you for your sins is instead taken by Jesus. Don't play games with time. The second is for the follower of Jesus in here. Do not be fooled to believe that you are safe and allowed to continue in your sin because you're around religious things. The priests, the highest ranking people in all of Israel, when it came to religious things, judgment came to them still. How seriously are you taking God and your own sin? Have you made God into your image to be used by you for your own happiness, comfort, and easy life? Is that divine alignment for you all skewed right now? You and I are servants of the Most High. We have been saved by God, children of God, but we have also been called to be servants of that God. We are to take every call from our Master and King seriously. Our lives are not our own. We have been called into the service of the king. You have a very, very important role. You've been called into the service of the king. They, the priests, Eli and his sons, were called into the service, and they did not take that privilege seriously. 
So if you're in here this morning and you've been called into that service, how seriously are you taking it? The result of not taking God seriously was judgment on their family and loss of the glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant. How much is affected in your own life and in the lives of those around you because you have chosen not to take the call of servant for the King of Kings? How long will you continue to usurp the throne and play games with God after he has given you and I new life, freedom from sin and death? How long? Here's the good news to the end, to end with though. God was raising up Samuel. We're gonna see this in the next chapters. God will always provide a plan and purpose for his people to come back to him and to remain faithful. While we are not that different from Eli and his sons, we have an advocate in Jesus who is pleading our case before God, who has taken you and I's judgment for our sin. We have received grace and forgiveness in our time of need. And instead of judgment, we receive righteousness and to be called children of the king. That's the good news this morning. What has Jesus done for you? He has brought you to be a child of the king and to serve him. Is there any higher call in all the world than to serve the creator king? Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.